I think there has to be this foundational architecture on top of which a digital environment can reside, and that is going to take some investment. And on top of that, the next most important critical item is really the analytic. You got to know your customer, and your customer isn't just, you know, the one we know by name who lives around the corner and stops in every other day. It's this expanded geography of potential customers who now, in this wider radius of where my store is located, including my e-commerce space, uh, looks just like the person who lives around the corner. Welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the pleasure again of having Michael Colinari, the Vice President of Retail, Restaurant and Hospitality at AT&T Business. Now, Michael has been on the show before. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, by introduction, let me give my listeners a quick recap on, on yourself and, and a bit of background. We have had you on the show before, as I mentioned, and uh, you gave us some great insight into where you originally grew up and what your background was in your academic career path, so we won't recap that. But for listeners tuning in, I just wanted to share a little insight into kind of your executive experience and background. I mean, you uh, went to the University of San Francisco. You did an MBA in uh, uh, international business uh, at uh, Harvard Business School Retail Forum for uh, Senior Leaders with the postgraduate program. You've had 25-odd years of uh, management experience across a broad range of communication technologies. In particular, there was a note here I had that you are still focused on the whole topic of developing talent, and obviously particularly in this particular segment. You continue as a guest lecturer in the business school at USF, and you serve on the board of directors at the National Retail Federation Foundation, which uh, is focused on cultivating talent for the industry, shaping technology for the industry, contributing to uh, the whole challenge of positive media representation for the industry, which sounds like an exciting undertaking. And your key specialties are uh, retail, restaurant, and hospitality. And uh, you're working a lot around the whole challenge of uh, these vertical markets, particularly communications and advertising industries, the challenges that are uh, being faced around IP networking, telephony, sales leadership expertise, uh, large account management, uh, executive selling, general management, and the whole underpinning profit and loss accountability. Now, I'd love to just ask you what a day in the life of uh, Michael Colinari is like currently, and, uh, and then I've got a whole range of things I want to dive into. What, uh, what's the day in the life of Michael like currently and some of the challenges you're facing? Well, I don't consider them challenges. I always consider everything an opportunity, and I don't mean that to just be rhetoric, but I kind of do have an optimistic outlook. Uh, I uh, cover a wide swath, as you've mentioned, so I'm usually traveling, but I spend as much time as I can in front of our clients. Uh, in front of my team and um, uh, also investing in um, the variety of different um, organizations that I participate in, whether it's board work or educational um, and whatnot. But I do like working with people a lot, so I tend to spend most of my time facing off with them and having different conversations in all these spaces. I had the privilege of catching up with you at the uh, National Retail uh, event in New York recently and uh, I had the privilege of getting you on camera. And I was fascinated to see the uh, massive transformation that's taking place across the entire space of retail. But in particular today, I want to focus on the grocery space. I know you had uh, an industry benchmark published recently that I'd love to get your thoughts on. Uh, I think it was titled The State of Digital Transformation in Grocery. Now, this is a massive global market and and, and certainly uh, in North America more than anywhere. Um, What can you tell us about this uh, report that was uh, published or this industry benchmark, I think it was uh, titled? I had a read through it, and uh, I was fascinated by some of the changes that are taking place, but specifically the challenge around the whole digital transformation piece. Give us a little insight into that entry benchmark and uh, how it came about to be and what some of the findings were. Well, I'll say first that, you know, grocery is one of the last frontiers, I'll call it, to adopt in the digital landscape, particularly in retail. So in uh, historical retail, you know, it was uh, very much focused on um, merchandising in the store and generating traffic to the store and then also encouraging consumers to dwell in the store with the, the thought being that the more attractive they could make the venue and the more attractive that retail. Uh, I'm sorry, in the, more, the greater length of time that retailers could get consumers to spend in the venue, they would end up spending more. And that, that has shifted so drastically in the last several years, particularly because we have uh, consumers that are becoming exceptionally proficient with technology and ex- equally as expectant for technology. And they're more interested in efficiency that can be gained by the technology. 
so in the grocery space in particular, where you know you still have a large herd of consumers that tend to go in uh, to the venue as opposed to buying online, but that's re- that's really probably the biggest impetus that shifted the most, is that now that you have some of the 800-pound gorillas in the industry, who I won't name, <clears throat> stepping into um, grocery and using their muscle in e-commerce to deliver groceries, that that is shifting that whole market space. Not only is market share shifting for a lot of traditional, easily refilled, easily shippable items, but you're seeing that whole space expand. And that's part of what I would air quote label um, digital transformation. And that has triggered a whole lot of activity around understanding the consumer better and trying to figure out your niche, your, your rhetorical, your in retail or grocery. And then certainly the whole reimaging of the supply chain that fulfills on that is something that's created an enormous opportunity for grocers. I found it a fascinating read, and uh, just a f- and we'll provide links to the relevant uh, web pages in here so that we don't need to give great big URLs on air. And there's a, a, a whole ebook on the topic, but uh, uh, I did find this a fascinating read, and particularly the blog that you'd publish yourself uh, around this thing. And uh, there was one line that really jumped out at me, and I'm going to quote it here. It it said straight out, "Grocers can no longer just compete with other grocery stores," and I. At first, I was reading that thinking, what does that actually mean? And then I realized exactly as you just alluded to now that they're not just competing with their peers. They're competing with a broad range of other uh, spaces who are potentially, you know, I guess, uh, moving sideways in a particular area to expand on certain things. Or, you know, even here in Australia, there's, and I won't name them, they don't need the free advertising, but a large chain that now does fulfillment into their stores. So you can order from something else, let's say a clothing store, and you can have it delivered to one of their regional sites because they're so large and so big as a network and a chain. And you can go and pick up your you know, apparel or whatever the case may be, or you might order, I don't know, a CD, although that makes me sound old. And you can pick it up whilst you're going getting your grocery, and they have these essentially letterboxes with pin numbers that you can go and unlock stuff. And it struck me that this was interesting because they had the entire – footprint of sites uh, where other online retailers didn't necessarily have that. And now they, you can do fulfillment into these grocery stores. It was just, wow, that's a big pivot for them. You know, one of the biggest shifts in retail, even though I was describing what I would consider a legacy environment versus this new digitally engaged consumer, uh, retailers now, when I talk to top executives that are running retail organizations, their biggest uh, orient or where they orient them, themselves the most today is around time and convenience. That's what matters to today's consumer. So digital has created, you could say, in one sense, uh, even more impatience. But more specifically, everybody's busy today. Everybody's busy with life, work, family, etc. And time and convenience are the most important factor. So what you're describing is how do I, as a consumer, uh, get the most done in the most convenient way for me. And that has translated to both uh, online and offline or e-commerce as well as brick and mortar. The underpinning theme with all this seems to be this whole topic of digitization. And, uh, you know, we hear things like uh, digital transformations in one space, and then we hear about digital disruption. I get the sense that this underpinning theme of digitization is having a massive impact on the entire market segment of, of grocery uh, as, a, as a topic. And I know it's a huge topic, but what are some of the key things that we should know about, uh, particularly what people inside these organizations and the sorts of things they need, you know, just kicking off conversations from boardrooms down and potentially even some things they can establish as standing uh, agenda items to be talking about? I know that you mentioned earlier there's, you know, like a change uh, that's taken place in the mix of the competitors they've got to deal with. There's a whole challenge of, of people wanting to order online and, and so forth and, you know, make good use of their time because they want to work later and make more money or whatever the case may be in their job. What are some of the things that you're seeing now as far as the uh, impact of digitization is having in the grocery market space? Well, let's let's um, really simplify digitization because in this in this case it means the engagement of the consumer through some sort of digital media or and or the integration of e-commerce. And e-commerce could be either pure play, which refers to you know simply product that's purchased online and then received uh, uh, delivered to you. Uh, but in the grocery space, that's where we're seeing the greatest influence because uh, buy online, pick up in store is definitely very popular because that's more time consuming. I, I mean, less time consuming and more convenient for the actual consumer. 
Um, but the fact that you have seen grocery now start to become, or uh, said differently, perishables now become a buy online or deliver uh, component is what's really shifted in this space the most dramatically or driving um, the need for grocers to adopt a digital footprint. And in so doing, that expands the geography that can be reached where historically, if it's only visit the brick and mortar, that you're going to have a certain radius from the store, uh, distance radius from the store where you're going to attract consumers, and that's no longer the case when you move into a digital world. So who you're competing with uh, and the, um, the, the addressable market that's now available to you in the digital world has become much greater. There's some fairly large shifts in cultural and behavioral uh uh, studies being done now. In the UK, for example, there are entire uh, housing complexes being built by government uh, where they aren't putting kitchens in the apartments, for goodness sake, which I thought was astounding. Uh, we're also seeing things where now large chains are doing things like experimenting with self-service, not just at the um, counter where you can scan your own goods, but you don't even have to scan. You just walk up and uh, and either with an app, take a picture of what you're buying and put it in your bag and walk out or cameras monitor you and see that that must have a significant impact on how some of these organizations are behaving even beyond the challenge of just the digital transformation they're being faced with. You just described another solution that addresses time and convenience. Right. In those certain venues, in those certain venues, right, so in the condo, that's not my space, but, you know, where there is no kitchen or limited um, capacity to prepare food, that, that's an entirely different or new market segment. And then in retail venues where there there is no point of sale, that's you know really where you become uh, connected before you're allowed into the venue. And then either through cameras or RFID, there's a variety of different technologies that can be used on top of a digital infrastructure that allow consumers to just pick things up and either put them in their pocket, put them in their bag, put them in the cart, and simply walk out and. Uh, the the infrastructure of that venue understands who you are and knows exactly how to bill you and knows everything that you've picked up and taken. There's certain assumptions around being, a, 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 I guess, a connected society in those spaces. I, I know my dear old mum would never cope with the idea that she can't uh, load up her trolley and push it to the counter and hand it over to some whippersnapper and have them scan it. Uh, and yet she's uh, all connected and internet-wide up at home and has a mobile phone uh, these days that uh, is just as active as mine in many cases. My kids. I call opinion. that the I call that I call that the rideshare phenomenon. All oh, right, because that's what rideshare has have done for us, right? You call you summon a transportation with your um, phone or any sort of digital assistant that you have. You get in. You don't even have to speak to the driver when you arrive at your destination. You open the door and you get out. There is zero friction at point of sale. That's creating a very spoiled consumer, and we translate that experience and that expectation into virtually everything again when even if it's completely subliminal and I'm not even aware, but my two biggest motivators are time and convenience. So when I get to a point of sale and I've got to wait in line or the credit card doesn't work or the signal is down or their cash register is broken, that's just you could just see people mentally melting down in front of you because, and and uh, the downstream effect of that is they're really hesitant to return to that venue and transact again because there was so much air quote friction at the actual point of sale. We want to be able to just be seamless. Let me get what I need get what, and, and move on and know who I am and bill it and don't ask me for the details. I don't want to give you my name and address and my um, CVV code on my credit card every time. Just know me. Yeah, let's go. That's a good point, isn't it? Because I think you know the amount of time that's consumed in that uh, we we don't always account for the time that's taken up in our day. But when we think about all the stops and starts we go through, we could probably recover a couple of hours if we could just get that seamless experience. And I think the other thing that I noticed there was, as you're saying that, is I, I I've seen myself in my own lifestyle. I'm always looking for that celebrity customer experience that I know that AT&T Business is looking at at every one of your market segments. And I imagine groceries no different that, as you said, we don't necessarily want to be handing over our details, but we do want the platform of the business to know us well enough that as we walk in, it knows who we are and what we're looking for. And, and even in many cases, I know a lot of people, uh, not so much from laziness, but as you said, that time and convenience, we just want to get the same stuff. You know, if I'm buying milk and bread every time I walk in the shop, I want the shop to know that. Um, the other thing I noticed, uh, we were talking the other day about this, and, and I made a couple of notes about it to ask you about. 
there seems to, you know, when I think about what's impacting these industries in grocery, it seems to me that there's been a cultural shift in the sorts of things we're doing outside of these stores. For example, you know, reality TV shows are, are a big thing now, and there's a lot of cooking shows. And so people watching them and thinking, oh, I'll go and do that. And I notice there's a connection between those and what used to be, you know, go and visit the TV show's website, look at the URL and get the, the, the list of things you needed to, to, to cook it up and the recipe, et cetera, and all the relevant bits you needed as far as vegetables and meat. Now I notice that some of them are just basically putting QR codes up and you just pop up and it appears in your shopping cart. And I thought that's a big jump and also a cultural behavioral shift from being trained how to do this on a TV show to then linking directly to the grocery industry. Another digital experience. Yep. Yeah. Do you think the grocery industry is ready for that, though? I mean, that's you know, that's a big quantum leap, and and, and well, that's a big question. That's a big question. It's very relative because um, I don't think the industry is ready, but the industry is aware. Right. And the industry is struggling with a variety of different things, integrating that e-commerce or the buy online, pick up in store, integrating um, all these other surrounding uh, applications like integrated cooking shows or immersive um, experiences with buy online and pick up in store attachment is very, very uh, critical to both the grocer and the consumer. And so attachment means, or in this case, and we spell it out in our study that we do with Incisive, um, that which is uh, augmented or uh, items that are augmented to the sale when you buy online. So if I buy online and I put everything in a locker and I go pick it up, or if I get directed to a particular um, location to pick up my um, groceries, uh, and to your earlier um, example, where what if I'm buying bread and milk every, you know, every three days, and so those are staples, and I forgot to order one of them? Uh, is it the merchant that is going to remember and notice and remind me? By the way, shall we attach this to your transaction, or is it my job to always remember that every Tuesday and Thursday I get these, and I have to remind you to just add them to what every single order that I have? That's a, that's those are all tough to yeah. solve too. And I don't mean to be cavalier about any of it, because those are the opportunities that are in the market space for grocery today. um, We're at a point where a grocer is relatively irrelevant without uh, a digital um, uh, venue or e-commerce. It still only represents less than 15% of the overall revenues that are produced, but it has a significant connection to new customers, a broader geography, new co- uh, which also insinuates new customers that don't typically come to your um, venue, uh, and the fact that without that digital presence, you're probably just going to wipe yourself out. And I imagine there's a generational shift as well that uh, when we think about the world in general. I know companies are faced with, uh, in, in employment and HR space, five different generations from baby boomers and Gen X uh, all the way through to Gen Y, Gen Z, and the millennials across the top of some of those. Uh, that has to have a direct impact on the buying uh, uh, trends, I guess, and that is... Across, a, across all of retail. Yeah. Across um, all of retail. The demographics are really uh, another opportunity because um, each one of the five that you just mentioned shop and purchase differently even though we do see some homogeneity across them, some some consistency starting to unfold, uh, certainly your younger generation is the much more adept. They're the much they're the bigger victims of what I call the rideshare phenomenon, uh, and you know even but even uh, uh, boomers of the oldest generation are still becoming or becoming more. Um, uh, preferential to texts and communicating in quick snippet short. Uh, easy time and convenience saving uh, methods. Yeah, I uh, was in uh, London the other day and I um, tested somebody's app and uh, I'd seen two different versions of it and I'd seen the early release and, and it was quite interesting. When I looked at the second version and flew into town to try it out on site, uh, I noticed that all the images were going sideways and I said, that was an interesting change. Please tell me that that's not the Tinder influence. And they said, yep, absolutely. The younger generation want to swipe from left to right to left to right of what it might be. They don't want to swipe up and down. And so even something as simple as uh, essentially, you know, let's just call it a dating app uh, like Tinder where you swipe from side to side with your thumb on your phone as opposed to swiping up and down, which 
apparently mechanically takes more effort on your thumb. Uh, a grocery chain had changed their app, so you used the Tinder experience of going left to right with your thumb to scroll through the options and the pictures of things as opposed to up and down. I was like, wow, this is... This is beyond anything I would have imagined, but it just makes sense. So someone obviously sat down and looked at that whole user experience, uh, user interface challenge and thought, right, I can, I can adapt to the next generation. So I guess there's that whole big change around the competitive mix that you mentioned earlier uh, as to you know, having to broaden the scope of what they do with even interesting things like in-store fulfillment for third parties through to that whole online ordering growth and the generational challenges. The, the thing that strikes me now is that, you know, is it fair to say that it's getting harder and harder to make a profit right now? And, then, and this pivot that they need to move towards digitization is an underpinning theme. But um, is it fair to say that it's getting harder and harder to make a profit and, and they're being faced by some of these pretty significant changes that aren't necessarily always their core business? I think that we are going through a, uh, try, try not to use too much rhetoric that requires interpretation, but the transformation that we're going through right now is really um, pivotal in that uh, the, that's why I used the example up front of, you know, legacy or traditional retailing where it's all about get them to the store and get them to hang out in the store and that will generate uh, a larger basket size or more loyal customers. And that's really shifted now. It's again, how fast can I get in and out and how much can I get done in the short period of time that I'm in there? So that's number one. Number two, that also requires an operational structure to, um, to be able to, uh, to manage that. Every single restaurant, hotel, retailer, and now grocery are going through the same growing pains of, first of all, when you add uh, an e-commerce component to your or channel to your capabilities, uh, the intent is not to just cycle my a certain set of customers onto a different channel. What you want to do is increase the number of consumers that are coming or patronizing you. Right. And when you increase that volume, then you also need to increase the operational efficiency you put around servicing those customers so that the experience is valuable too. And again, everybody went through this. I can name restaurants, I can name retailers, where all of a sudden they generated a whole lot more traffic. But when they got there, it was a chaotic experience because the retailer or the restaurant was still using their existing or standard flow through. And people don't want to go in and stand in line for 25 minutes to get their coffee or to get their hamburger or to pay for their sweater. So you have to figure out how am I going to enable that. And e-commerce is a great example of that because what I'm seeing with a lot of groceries, and you can even witness this in early adopters there, or when when a grocer starts to uh, adopt a uh, buy online, pick up in store capability, it's not about just taking the people that are running the cash register and going out in the parking lot and bringing the carts back and all of a sudden having them run around and fill an order and have a bag and be ready. That's chaos when all of a sudden you have 100 orders that are all being picked up between 4 and 4.30 today. You have to build an infrastructure and re-architect your operational flow in order to accommodate all of those new customers. And that's part of the growing pain that a lot of, uh, I think, uh, retailers in general have kind of resisted, but it's the same with restaurant, right? A lot of them didn't necessarily want to incorporate uh, food delivery, Um, but it's a significant portion of, of the business now is that people just ring the phone and want an app to deliver it to them. And people are treating most uh, or a lot of shopping and um, a good portion of grocery in the same fashion. They shop when it's convenient for them. They schedule a pickup when it's convenient for them. Uh, and um, uh, when a whole bunch of people, the time, uh, the, the most convenient time for a whole bunch of people is the same time, you got to be able to accommodate that. Otherwise, you're going to fail. I'm going to age myself here, but over the last 35 years of my working uh, career, I've I've seen this whole grocery space go through a number of big changes, uh, particularly the the rollout of very big chains and and a lot of interesting things happening there in the use of technology. One of the things that I get the sense of is that there's some very big sunk costs as far as investment go when they roll out whole new infrastructure. I've been involved in things as as quirky as rolling out whole new point of sale uh, uh, capabilities, uh, things like FPOS terminals. I saw them come and go. Um, this whole tap and go thing, you know, each of these things is a pretty big investment. There's a lot of sunk costs. There's a long ROI, sometimes 15 plus years. And in this case now, I see that a lot of disruptions actually coming from the customers, not necessarily the competitors. Um, I wonder if there's a sense that the industry is being dragged into digital in, in many ways. 
uh, that they may not necessarily want to do it, but as you've been saying, they've, they've got to do it to stay relevant and competitive. Is that a fair thing to sort of say uh, with the greatest respect to the industry? I mean, I, I think there's a big challenge that they've historically had to be both grocery specialists and deal with IT. Um, but uh, do you think it's a case that they're being dragged into digital or they are running at it? That's a tough call <laughs> because it's, because those are dramatic terms, but I actually right. think they're being dragged. Okay. I think they're being more dragged in because the truth is, in order to do any of the things we're talking about, there is an in- incremental cost or a new cost structure that has to be adopted. People who are very adept at information technology management and strategy and how to sunset certain capabilities so that you can self-fund new investments. People who have not, or businesses who have not traditionally invested well in technology as an enabler of their business are struggling the most. And that would really, grocery is a pretty good example of that because grocery has not traditionally had uh, a super technical uh, experience for the consumer when they walk in. Their supply chain is organized in a way that isn't seamless end to end. Uh, and so there's just, there's all these different areas uh, where there's opportunity for uh, growth. And um, as we show in this um, study that we did, early results are starting to show that certain formulas are more profitable more quickly. For example, shipping directly from a distribution center versus shipping from stores. Uh, Both can be done. Uh, Both give you different advantages because the advantage with the distribution center is that you've got a much lower cost to package and deliver, but there's no attachment capability go into the store, you've got a higher cost for labor and structure and organizational flow in order to deliver a buy online and pick up, but your uh, opportunity to upsell or add attachment to the actual order is much greater. So it's, again, figure, those are examples of where you got to figure out how do I reorient around this new volume and this new expanded marketplace that I can take share from. Indeed, I think it's one of those things where, as I mentioned, you know, my sense from from reading your recent uh, benchmark and certainly a lot of the material you've been writing of late, that this shift, I guess, this this disruption is coming from the consumers who want more and more service. Uh, And in many ways, it seems to me, they actually want to buy more things from the grocery stores and the grocery networks and the grocery chains. Uh, There's no reluctance to get in there and buy stuff. They just want a different experience. And I imagine that uh, this whole you know, challenge of, as I said, you know, being dragged into digital with the greatest respect is the case that consumers are asking for more and more quality, more and more service, more and more flexibility. And as you've been saying uh, a number of times now, just better use of their time. Uh, it's almost a case that um, they are being asked to stick to their core business of grocery uh, and seek the right business partners such as AT&T Business to help them with some of those technology challenges, whether it's the availability of 5G in the stores all the way through to the, the mobile app integration and and all of those things around, you know, inventory visibility and shifts all the way through to, you know, workforce transformation, as you, you mentioned in that uh, industry benchmark. And and even partner collaboration and, and a range of things in that space where they're still sticking to their core business, but they're looking to the right partner like yourselves to say, well, what, what can we do to change the way we do business without having to become an IT shop or a phone company and other things? Because I think they've already been faced with some fairly substantial cha- challenges just in the grocery industry. Is it the case that they're now coming to you and saying, Michael, what can AT&T Business do for us? What, what can you do to help us with our telco challenges, our app challenges, our data challenges, our, you know, even cybersecurity challenges so that we can just remain focused on our core business of grocery and not have to do all these other things that are really not our ballywhack? Yeah, very much. I think what we often get called in to do is more narrow than what we end up doing. So first of all, you know, if you're going to step in or remain competitive in this space, as I keep advocating, you have to establish a new flow design. You've got to dedicate the appropriate labor. You have to empower your labor with the right tools to be successful. You have to re-image that um, supply chain uh, so that uh, expenses are shared more evenly across CPG, delivery, manufacturing, uh, uh, retail, etc. And then on top of that, in an environment where uh, there has been little investment in technology historically, there the default approach that I see pretty frequently is, you know, a short-term ROI model. They'll look at a particular application like digital price tags or uh, digital signage or some 
standalone or a mobile point of sale capability, some standalone uh, technical capability that probably has a yield. But if you just invest in that one thing and look for a short horizon return, meaning it pays for itself in two years, and then all of a sudden you're generating all this incremental revenue, that's probably a uh, not not the most winning. Uh, strategy to have as opposed to, you know, building something foundational that allows you to have a digital environment and then you can test different capabilities to determine what works and what doesn't work Um, and be able to add and subtract applications like the ones I named more seamlessly without, without a huge loss. Right. I know, and, and I think there's regional challenges as well, right? I mean, we were talking sort of probably predominantly about the North American market and some of the space you're being uh, challenged with at the moment. But you know, I've just come back from a trip in China, for example, where uh, nobody uses credit cards. They swipe at their phones. And uh, they generally don't sort of do traditional banking. They pay through WeChat and, and, and other platforms. Uh, when you walk through the train station, it's just facial recognition and you walk through the gate. There's no such thing as tickets. So I imagine that we've got a couple of waves of disruption now where the, the more traditional Western technology challenges we're faced with the deployment of smartphones and younger generations and, you know, people coming to the store who are foodies looking for a particular type of food or, or a particular type of dietary requirement. Um, that's one wave. But we've also now got a whole range of things where artificial intelligence and machine learning and facial recognition is going to then come at the market as well. And I, I imagine that that's just got to leave people fairly breathless to, to, to even just cope with the challenges they've got to c- comprehend and deal with as a, you know, beyond just digitization. I'd love to get your thoughts on what some of the top challenges that are being faced could be addressed with. I know that in the benchmark report, you talked about a range of these. I'd love to maybe just to get your thoughts on them. In particular, there was uh, some notes I made around things like inventory visibility and work environments and third-party technology partnerships and the whole process automation. Um, out of those, I'm, I wonder if you can just give us two or three key things that you think uh, the online grocers need to be doing currently just to stay in the game. Yeah. And the example used, too, in China, you know, the, a, a lot of advantages that we have uh, in Asia, you'll see it in Europe, you'll see it in a variety of different continents where, you know, there's expansion is so vast uh, and so rapid. When you're building new from the ground up and being able to build from the new, uh, new from the ground up and uh, architect from day one an infrastructure that allows for all of these types of newer technologies like AI and VR, et cetera, robotics. Um, that's, a, that's a different investment. And what you're going to find in a lot of grocers is there isn't an infrastructure. They're used to just, you know, one or two conduit coming in off, off the back end and, you know, everything being communicated over copper. And that that's probably the most detrimental um, um, existing uh, architecture that exists. It's really all about building a foundational architecture that's going to give you high speed, low latency, and the capability to add um, intelligence to the network. And then you can address things like inventory visibility and the entire environment, your work environment that you were talking about, and the supply chain on the back end that I'm always referring to. I think that that's number one. Number one, there has to be this foundational architecture on top of which a digital environment can reside, and that is going to take some investment. And on top of that, the next most important um, critical item is really the analytics. You got to know your customer, and your customer isn't just you know the one we know by name who lives around the corner and stops in every every other day. It's this expanded geography of potential customers who now in this wider radius of where my store is located, including my e-commerce deliverable space, uh, looks just like the person who lives around the corner and stops in every four days that isn't coming to me. And how do I now accommodate that much wider an audience or addressable market space? And you need the analytics so that you can understand that uh, and incorporate that. One of the things that really jumped out at me, uh, I think it was the fourth uh, imperative that was highlighted in your blog that supported the uh, benchmark 
report was just the whole technology enablement. Something that really jumped out at me is there was a point there that the uh, research had found that 100% of retailers plan to use advanced analytics to increase basket size. Uh, basket size, and that is that you know uh, ideally putting more things in the basket to buy in a single trip to the grocer. And I guess you know from an investment point of view, they can be certain that that's going to work because we already know it works in other spaces. You know, Netflix recommends the next movie to to, uh, to watch, or, or people like you have watched this movie, and uh, iTunes recommends music to play to you. And there's a whole range of those spaces. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're seeing it retail where clothing stores recommend what people of your uh, uh, makeup. Um, have worn or bought or taken or whatever the case may be or if you're online buying it knows if you're looking for something to go to a party versus going to a wedding and it can recommend things this uh point here where the 100 percent of retailers plan to use advanced analytics to increase basket size basket size it seems to me that that's a proven thing in the market and i'm sure that's where what your findings backed up in in the report you know we've been spoiled as consumers with auto reorder and same day within or within four hour delivery. And again, that wasn't applied to perishables or grocery in the in the past. That's what's changing now. And you also mentioned earlier some demographics and within each of the demographics, because cooking shows and anything where people are going to spend time with the food and the ingredients, those are still the consumers that are going to go to the store because they want to pick their own herbs and they want to pick their own produce and their own materials, period. So fresh matters, those choices matter, but again, the presence uh, that they have online is what's going to first attract those uh, those consumers and also establish them within a space. And then if you can add on top of that some of these other capabilities, like uh, knowing who the consumer is and being able to reorder for them, you know, once once you get a consumer to share their preferences with you digitally, that's where the most expectation is going to start to show up. They're going to want you to know who they are and what they want and what they can get delivered or what they can count on you for. And when they when you come in, can you marry those two levels of intelligence about that consumer and create an experience? And that all requires this environment, this digital environment that we're talking about. I imagine that's a benefit of the investment in going digital, though, that is that uh, not only can you uh, use the tools to, such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, to uh, prompt people for certain things, but you can also track and trace with the greatest respect to people's privacy, what they're looking at and how they're looking at it, when they're looking at it and what days they're looking at it, the time of day they're looking at it and start to build that profile to give them that value experience. And then there's there's other things that I've seen around the world. I know here in Australia, for example, one of the grocery chains has started doing things where they have a company that grows vegetables in ISO shipping containers and they do it out on the farm, but they, they actually grow the product in the container and ship the fresh produce, as you said before, like, you know, fresh lettuces, fresh kale, fresh herbs. And they ship that directly to the essentially what is a parking lot in the state uh, example trial. Uh, but they're, they're looking at bigger spaces to put it more sensibly so that when you buy online and you're actually you can effectively see a picture of the thing you're going to get. And it's grown in a shipping container and shipped to the store while it's still growing. So you not only pick fresh product from the store, but you're actually picking it live uh, in the container it's growing in. And I went to Melbourne and see this thing, and I was astounded that you could go in the store, buy something, you essentially get a, a barcode, a QR code, you go out to the little container, the, the door's already open, there's someone maintaining it, and you pick up the little canister of your herbs, your, your you know, oregano or whatever it might be to take and, and cook with, uh, to talk, you know, literally from garden to, to, to kitchen in one fell swoop. Now, that's a significant shift that I can't even imagine grocers uh, having imagined before, and yet now it's happening and people want it. And I guess once you roll these things out, people demand more of it, don't they? Uh, very much so. You know, you, you struck on a key ingredient there, which is the privacy piece. And um, one of the first rules of digital engagement with the consumer is uh, gaining the customer's approval for uh, gathering and use of and reuse of the preferences that they've shared. And that's very demographic specific too, but I won't get into that science. But typically consumers, once they say, once they trust you and they say, yes, I know you're going to use these preferences that I'm going to share for you, which in this case is going to be what food items do I want regularly, please remember for me. Uh, and there's, you know, I'm right now I'm, I'm, I'm studying a halal menu, so make sure you, I get exposure to ingredients for that particular type of menu, that type of intelligence that you can mine again, with the consumer's um, permission, uh, will only build uh, not only enormous loyalty, but also more frequent and um, larger spend with those consumers 
and that's statistically been proven out. I imagine this is where the whole topic of, uh, of, of technology partnership becomes a critical thing because if I'm a grocer and I'm worried about transport and logistics and, and packaging and shelving and, and all those sorts of things, I'm not really in the, in the game of building an app and so I need the right partner to build that for me. I'm not in the game of building networks and, and all the wireless technology and therefore you know, the transition and deployment of 5G but also Wi-Fi for pop-up screens. These are not things that I natively do and I need to now find the right partner for that. Uh, these are things that AT&T Business already does, particularly things like data privacy and the cybersecurity challenges or that. This must be something that's appearing on the boardroom agendas now for the grocery industry where they go to their boardrooms every month and look at what are the big challenges facing them and all of a sudden cybersecurity appears on the boardroom agenda and that must be an interesting pivot for them as well that you're seeing out there. Yeah, I mean, you're hitting on a, a key point is that making the decision as a grocer to step up and into the digital world is one that I think we're advocating, at least I'm advocating, you really don't have a choice anymore. You kind of have to go there. But then the decisions become, well, where do I invest and which priorities do I make? And that's why I was making that other comment earlier that, you know, you got to take a different approach also. You can't use your same legacy approach for evaluating and justifying the cost for technology in these short horizon, um, in uh, siloed uh, return on investment analyses. You really got to step back and go, okay, what is the overall experience that I'm going to deliver? Who is the consumer that I think I can own and capture? And how much of that relationship can I uh, expect to manage with this digital investment instead of thinking one uh, one application or one capability of, at a time that's going to drive some sort of return? Because that's probably not a very successful strategy anymore. They don't pan out. You're going to be angry because you didn't get the 4% lift in conversion that you were expecting. It didn't pay for itself in, in 18 months. And, you know, again, you have to take a broader look and say, well, does this piece contribute to this or this one? capability contributes to the entire immersive experience that I'm trying to generate digitally for my consumer. And then once you um, organize that, then that operational flow behind it is really critical. I know I made that point already, but you know, once you expand your, your addressable market, start capturing um, both a, a digital and a physical uh, channel across consumers, you got to make the experience good for everybody. And in the digital world, that consumer is going to share with you some information that they expect you to turn into value for them, not just data for you. Now, when I introduced you, we talked about one of your passions being developing talent, and in particular that you serve on the board of directors of the National Retail Federation Foundation. And one of the focuses of that foundation is cultivating talent for the industry. And uh, one of the imperatives in the uh, benchmark that you published was workforce transformation. So we've talked a lot about the external influences uh, from uh, dig- uh, from digitization challenges and the technology underpinning all that and the foundation for technology, as you uh, mentioned, uh, a lot of the external influences around uh, the disruption coming from the customers, not so much the competitors. But this seems to me to be a great opportunity based on this workforce transformation because uh, a lot of things you're doing across AT&T business with a range of things from, you know, in some spaces in enterprise, you've got enterprise mobility solutions. Now you've got these amazing workforce transformation solutions coming out. Um, what were some of the things that you found through this opportunity to uh, look inward, I guess, uh, inside the workforces and transforming those for the grocery market? Uh, that that's actually been a phenomenal experience, to tell you the truth, because in some cases we found that we had to completely reorient ourselves around who it is that um, we wanted to represent our brand and our products. Uh, but more specifically, we had to reorient what we measure the success of our sales associates on. Right. So in one in in ten years ago, we would measure you on how fast you could make a transaction happen, but that might have had back-end tech support and uh, other uh, types of expenses um, and a frustrated customer. Now we've changed that completely, and it's all about um, how satisfied and how complete a job can I do in the one interface with that customer so that, you know, they 
buy everything that they possibly are interested in and that it all works and that it's going to bill properly and that they don't have to call tech support and they're happy with what they do. So to use that example, that's in our own retail footprint and then translate that out into the grocery store and you've got the same um, set of opportunities because um, you know, you have your point-of-sale folks, you have your restock folks, you have the people that are running around grabbing the shopping carts and bagging groceries and carrying them out to the car, but then you also have this uh, new set of labor that's required to manage the buy-online, pick-up-and-store experience so that um, the products that the consumer gets their hands on is, is satisfying and the experience is satisfying. And on the back end of that, uh, how you orient around the entire supply chain so that you're managing uh, spoilage and all the other issues that are associated with perishables and grocery in general is uh, not not more expensive, but spread out differently so that the um, operational flow that's inclusive of inclusive of incoming product and outgoing product from the venue uh, is all efficient. The, uh, the the underpinning thing of all this, I think, is that you know when we go to these organisations, we we're you know we're using a lot of technology with a lot of the shopping experience, but there's still human beings at the heart of the, the grocery store, or the grocery chain, and at some point you're going to have to touch a human. I guess that's such a critical component that you want. Uh, uh, not just effective and and uh, well trained and, and educated staff, but you also want them to be enjoying their job and they you know believe in the brand and believe in what they're doing and the the, the value they're offering. Uh, I, you know, I I I I can remember a number of times where I've gone to stores and had a really great experience and walk away, and I can still see the face of the person that served me because they were they loved their job, they enjoyed their job, they they liked the company they work for. Um, and you can feel that. Yeah. That's- and you That's want to go a back there, right? Critical observation. It, absolutely, absolutely. You can tell when a uh, an associate force, a, 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 the sales team or the point of sale team, whoever it is inside that operation, is facing with the consumers. You can tell when they've been sat down and oriented around. Look, here's the attitude you're going to have. Here's the experience we're going to produce. Here's what our brand means to the public, and here's your job in upholding that. You know that. Right. Yeah. You know that as a consumer, you know, you can tell when you've been to an establishment that is oriented that way. And you can also tell when you've been to an establishment where somebody's just punching the clock and getting minimum wage and they're going to run you out there without a concern. And I think, you know, neither one is right or wrong, but whichever one is relevant to uh, the market share you're trying to ca- capture and how you're going to run yourself competitively in your space is critical. And that's all uh, there is so much technology that enables that kind of uh, uniformity across who you hire and how they orient themselves with your customer that that's also one of the uh, often overlooked areas of digital investment. And I, I imagine that in you know there are a number of industries that are in similar spaces, but grocery must be one of those spaces where you know it's often hard to find good qualified staff, trained staff, or if you're having to train them yourself, there's a sunk cost you've got to recover in there. And so you want to essentially develop and maintain and sustain your your workforce because you don't really want a high churn rate because there's you know in, in underpinning costs with all of those as, as people come and go. Uh, I imagine that you're seeing now that as these organizations in the grocery industry are enabling their staff to do a better job and, and, and enjoy their job better, and, uh, are you seeing now that they want to stick to their jobs longer or they're essentially reducing that churn rate? We are finding that if you invest in the employee early, so that's some of the work that I do with the National Retail uh, Federation Foundation is um, working with uh, folks so that they have a they have some certification, if you will, in customer service, in point of sale, in uh, acumen around the retail environment first. And we find that our yield for folks that don't just become transient job hoppers uh, versus people who want to invest and become more an integral part of the industry over time has produced a higher yield when we spend the time on the front end um, just orienting people around the industry. Well, I've really appreciated the insights you provided into not just the uh, digital transformation and grocery um, uh, industry benchmark you published, but also some of the key challenges that the industry, the whole grocery market's facing around not just digitization and, and how to stay profitable, but also some of the things that, that you've mentioned that they should be looking at doing. I wonder if I can ask you one last question then before I let you go, and that is uh, if you were to uh, gaze into a virtual crystal ball for a few moments and sort of just ponder uh, over the next 12 to 18 months, 
some of the things that this whole industry of grocery and, and the people who are sitting in boardrooms all the way down should be thinking about. What are some of the things that you are seeing out there as and I mean, you're literally on the bleeding edge of this. You're establishing the technology capability inside AT&T Business. You're deploying it out into the industry and, and making it real for people. You're providing all that hand-holding support through the initial conversations and establishing that discussion in the organizations through to planning, design, implementation, rollout, and then maintenance and support, et cetera, upgrades. What are some of the things that they should be thinking about? What, what are some of the shifts that are taking place beyond this fundamental digitization that you'd recommend that they just stick on their boardroom agendas and, and, and make part of their conversation day to day so they are going to be able to future-proof themselves and, and stay in business? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to game the system because uh, I'm going to bet that um, the, people may be listening for me to talk about artificial intelligence, virtual reality, robotics, all of the super cutting-edge things there, um, deep analytics uh, and data mining, et cetera. Those are all cool things, and I think they're here to stay, and I think they're incredibly relevant. But foundationally, if you're sitting in the boardroom and you're trying to figure out how do I establish myself so that I'm set up for, as you call it, future-proof or at least greater longevity in the shifting marketplace that's still difficult to pin down and um, <clears throat> uh, predict, it's all about the foundation. You've got to build a digital foundation, and grocery t- traditionally has not had a strong digital foundation. It's been very legacy, connectivity-oriented, short-term ROI models, uh, low investment in technology, and that's the most fundamental shift is how do I fund this new requirement to have a digital platform, and i got to build a digital platform foundationally so that I can add and flex with these different capabilities. And whether that's fixed, meaning wireline, or whether that's... uh, over the airwaves in terms of um, wireless or 5G, et cetera, those capabilities are all present today. And I think understanding those foundational architectures and establishing them are the best, most sound investment that you can make. Wow. We, uh, we should just put that in a one pager and send it to every C-suite uh, uh, board member in the country and see what happens. Well, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for making time to catch up with me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And it was great to see you in New York recently and get you on camera. And uh, I just I love some of the deep insights you're able to share, uh, given that you are literally at the bleeding edge of this. But also, I think the depth and breadth of what uh, your team and certainly at t Business brings to this, because as you've said a number of times now, just in the last hour, that... Uh, there are so many foundational shifts that this whole industry of grocery is being faced with. Uh, to me, it seems that uh, they, they need to think about where they are spending every dollar because the dollars are limited, and they need to think about how to spend those dollars intelligently and wisely uh, because those who don't do that are probably not going to be in the industry in the next five to ten years, and that's a pretty dire outcome for them. So thank you so much for the time. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show again soon. Thank you. My pleasure, Des. Take care.